G'day everyone, it's Thomas Beecham here again for another episode of Take The Two. We're two rounds in and already the ladder is just starting to take form. So as always, tonight we'll be recapping each team's performance last week and looking forward to this week's slate of games. If you're enjoying the show, don't forget to subscribe, spread the word and check out all the content on nrlnews.com. In addition to the match reports and statistical previews of each game, you'll find Ricky's new weekly article where he picks out his best play of every game across the round and provides a full breakdown on how it developed. Hope you guys enjoyed the podcast. Well, good evening and welcome to another episode of Take the Two. Here we are at round three and I guess round two, Tom certainly had plenty of good action. An upset or two, if you could call it that, and certainly some teams that need to find their mojo quickly or they could be out of contention very quickly. Yeah, 100%, Ricky. G'day to everyone out there. And I'm sure the wet weather played its part over the weekend in creating a few of those results. Uh, your eels are outstanding. They were one of the talking points of the weekend, and I'm sure we'll get to them a little bit later on. But as you mentioned, a number of teams, including my Tigers, really need to step it up or otherwise our finals footy will be gone for another year before they've even really got into the season. Yeah, I mean, look, we'll obviously touch on that later, but Thursday night to start round three, at the newly named Blue Bet Stadium out in Penrith. Obviously, the, the betting agency Blue Bet has now come on board as their sponsor, so it's no longer Panther Stadium. But look, I mean, I guess the talking point out of this one, Tom, is probably more on the Panthers end with Nathan Cleary. Obviously, he left the field with a concussion late-ish in that game, and we know with the NRL's protocols, obviously, with a five-day turnaround, obviously, from playing Saturday to Thursday, you'd probably have to say that Cleary is going to be in some doubt for this one and that I guess changes the dynamics of of the Penrith team at least in terms of their attacking structure. Yeah 100% we'll probably see Matt Burton come in and take that seven jersey. I think that we'll see the Panthers take a very cautious approach to Nathan Cleary. Obviously a second head knock in two weeks would be disastrous for their season. They would see him miss a number of weeks and you know even though it is the grand final rematch and I'm sure Penrith would be fired up to try and avenge what happened last uh, October. I reckon we'll be seeing Nathan Cleary out of this game. I guess it just goes to to show why Penrith are so keen to hold on to Matt Burton. So much has been spoken over the last few weeks about uh, him wanting release out to the Bulldogs so he can get into his first grade career. But you know, I think, in my opinion, Penrith have every right to hold on to him. He's under contract there. And you know, weeks like this just demonstrate why potentially the Panthers should be holding on to him for a little while longer. Yeah, they're certainly, you know, I guess, accounting their lucky starts in a way that Burton didn't sort of just say, look, I want out, I'm not going to play another another game for Penrith in, I guess, in any competition. And obviously, it is a grand final rematch, Tom. We know what happened in the grand final. The Storm won it. And look, I mean, I guess the Storm last week played about as well as you could play, given those, you know, at times horrendous conditions with the, you know, the weather and the amount of sliding that we saw, not only in, in that at Eel Storm game, but across the week, just, you know, players scoring and flying everywhere along the ground because of the water but I guess in the end it just they they didn't lose because they didn't play well they just lost because it was I guess a a moment of magic I guess in a way if you, if you could call it that with the probably George Jennings probably not leaping as well as he could have and that was all it took for them to to lose the game essentially yeah we saw a number of times last week Penrith take a leaf out of the book of the South Sydney Rabbitohs from round one and really target that edge of George Jennings and Remus Smith, that new combination there on uh, what is Melbourne's right. I'm sure that they'll be looking to correct their defensive deficiencies in that area this week. When you're coming up against that beautiful left edge, Penrith, Crichton, Toto, Jerome Luai and Billy Army Kikau, the challenges don't get much tougher than that. I've spoken over the last few weeks about how I think that they, that bed can really rival the Roosters' uh, right edge as, uh, as the best edge in the competition. And I'm sure Penrith will be favouring the left even even more this weekend with Cleary out, uh, not able to control that right-hand side. It's interesting to see what will happen with Charlie Staines. Hasn't scored a try in the first two weeks. Really hasn't got a lot of touches of the ball. We've seen that you know, he's not too keen to work it out of his own end. I know the super coaches out there aren't too happy with his output. Uh, he, he's, he's been stinking it up for our sides. and I'm sure Penrith will be looking to get more out of Staines moving forward, especially when you consider the loss of Josh Mantle, who was the complete opposite. Happy to work it out. You know, Didn't always score the tries, but was always involved in getting Paris out of their own end. Yeah, you can say that again. And obviously, Charlie Stain is flying out of the doors of many super coach teams, that's for sure. And look, it, it should be a very good way to kick kick the round three off. And obviously, you know, it's always a hard one to pick. But I guess 
if Cleary is out, Tom, you probably have to give the Storm the edge. And we've seen with the Storm, I mean, they very rarely lose two games in a row. And I guess it's been that way for, you know, the last six to ten years, give or take, that just something with that side, just the nucleus and the culture that they've got, somehow Craig Bellamy finds a way to get them to win a game rather than lose two in a row. Yeah, this just reminds me of that round one matchup. The betting markets have this game pretty much split straight down the middle, but I'll be all over Melbourne. I think that Cleary is a huge loss, and you know it's going to be a big ask for Jerome Willard to step up and really lead the side around. We know how dangerous he is on the left, but uh, there's I guess there's probably still some question marks over his ability to really step up and manage the game as the number one half. Yes, yeah, certainly a big step up for Jerome Luai. And I guess they moved to Friday night, Tom, and this is probably, I guess, more so for Manly than the Dragons. I mean, obviously, Manly, they did look better in that game against the Bunnies, albeit their defence probably wasn't great. You know, Andrew Davey went off with an ACL injury. He's out for the year. But I guess with the Dragons, Tom, they've got to be pretty pleased. Oh, and I guess fans have to be pretty pleased that it seems like, I mean, of course, it's early days, but that... Old, that old Brisbane combination of Griffin, Norman and Hunt in the halves, and then McCulloch, a hooker, sort of seems to be, I guess, getting them out of their their rut, if that's the right word to use. You know, particularly we have Ben Hunt, who's now the captain with McInnes injured, leading from the front. And I guess if that's something that can continue, the Dragons, you know, probably while they may not make the finals, they can go a long way to upsetting the upsetting other sides' chances to do so. Yeah, for me last week, the star the star man for the Dragons was Ben Hunt. I thought he was exceptional. Paired really well with Corey Norman, who came back into that side. Obviously, Hunt grabbed a try there in the second half, and I thought his running game was superb. I know after the game, we heard Corey Norman talking to Fox Sports about how Anthony Griffin had really challenged him to take the line on more in the second half, and we definitely saw that. And it really troubled the Cowboys defensively. I think that's where Ben, ben Hunt's biggest strengths lie. We know uh, what a great playmaker he is, but I think it's his running game that, that really has the potential to to break up size defences. We've seen it a number of times where he just sort of drifts off to the right and then bang off that right foot two steps and he's back inside the defence to score the try. I uh, know he scored plenty of those against the Tigers over the years. I can remember one at Cogra. And I'm sure they'll be looking to, to bring that out a lot more over the coming weeks. And it's that great service from Andrew McCulloch and the pressure that Corey Norman takes off of Ben Hunt that really enables him to take on the line and have the confidence to pull off some, some nice attacking plays. Yeah, I mean, certainly, you know, I guess if the combination can continue what they're doing and sort of, I guess, play their own individual roles while still playing within the, I guess, the team roles that Anthony Griffin wants them to. Could There could be anything. And I guess in many ways, Tom, this is even more interesting of a clash given that the halves from both sides are probably, I guess, four of the, the more, or four of the under pressure halves in the game. Obviously, you know, we know what Norman and Hunt, the pressure that they've come under, Norman and his off-field incidents, you know, would Ben Hunt lead? And I guess probably the one that has escaped more of the criticism than anybody else is Daley Cherry Evans. And he probably hasn't had the best start to the season. Of course, we know that Manly's side, when you look at it on paper, it's not a great side compared to the top six or seven teams. But you'd probably still want more out of your out of your $1 million playmaker, wouldn't you, Tom? Yeah, certainly. Just having a look at some of his stats so far, and Manly haven't Demonstrated much in attack, but only one forced dropout, no try assists, no line break assists. That makes it tough uh, for your other players around you if, if your playmakers aren't stepping up and really directing the play. And Cherry Evans hasn't found himself in a position where he's been able to you know, demonstrate what an outstanding half he is, as we've seen over the last few years and for both uh, Manly and Queensland. It'd be interesting to see how Josh Schuster goes in that 12 jersey. I, was, I wasn't shocked to see him named in the side, and I could see Manly fans rejoicing all over social media to see him in there, but... It was a bit of a surprise to see him come on and play the 12. I know we saw a little bit of that last week uh, when Andrew Davey went off. So it'll be interesting to see how he goes there. His combination with Jake Trebojevic and Jack Kaczewski in that back row is going to be critical for Maui and you know, getting themselves on the front foot and hitting the line hard inside the attacking zone. And uh, It's going to be a tough test up against the Dragons, who were much improved last week. And one guy's efforts off the bench who I really noticed was Daniel Alvaro, uh, someone you're very familiar with, Ricky, ex-Eel. Really pumped out some good attacking runs there. 16 runs for 127 metres. We might even see Daniel Alvaro move his way into a starting spot in the near future. Yeah, no, look, it was good to see. Obviously, you know, I guess that in the end, probably wasn't, you know, a mix of the, mix of not enough cap space at the Eels, coupled with, I guess, it may have wanted a bit more cash and the Eels found some, I guess, cheaper options to fill out their depth. And that's good to see. And I mean, 
a lot of us Eels fans are commenting. It probably looks a touch leaner. I mean, not by much. Like, you know, it doesn't take much at all. But, yeah, probably, you know, a few kilos leaner. And, look, you know, obviously whether that's made the difference or not or whether he just has a point to prove. Obviously, yeah, off the bench he was, you know, I, I would probably go as far as to say he was probably their best forward over the likes of Blake Laurie and Paul Vaughan who started in that front row. So it's always good when you can have a prop coming off the bench and making that sort of impact that he, that, that he was having. Yeah, certainly. As you mentioned there, I think that the Dragons' uh, starting front row pair of Hawaii and Vaughan were also much improved last week. They really took it to the Cowboys for two. You know, admittedly, are a little bit under strength this year. and It's going to be interesting to see how the Dragons match up this weekend. I really like them to, to get the win down there at Wollongong. It's you know, not... Not going to be easy, but you know I'm sure they'll be looking to get get one up in front of their home fans um, come Friday night. Yeah, they'll certainly want it for the momentum. And I guess the second game on Friday, Tom, both sides will want their momentum to continue too. I mean, it's been as as you mentioned earlier that Roosters' right edge of you know Teddy, Joey, Manu, Brett Morris. I mean that was that or Luke Keary as well is on the edge or he's he's even even in a roaming sort of role, but that edge is just on fire at the moment and. Obviously, the Bunnies did beat the um, Manly last week, Tom, and obviously Damian Cook had a much better game than he did in round one. But the Bunnies, they don't look convincing yet, do they, Tom? And particularly coming up against the Roosters side who can absolutely, absolutely destroy you through the middle. The Bunnies haven't really won any of their forward battles as such to begin the season. So they've got to be really careful that they don't, get behind the eight ball and are under pressure early. Otherwise, it could get ugly very early. Yeah, you nailed it there. And I think the weather may have played, played a little bit of a role last week in um, in the in the Rabbitohs' performance. Obviously, they weren't quite as fluid in attack just because of the conditions. You know, they were atrocious out there at Brookvale. And as you mentioned, they really struggled uh, to really gain some proper ascendancy against the Mentley Fords. And it's only going to get more difficult this week up against the Roosters' pack of Collins, Takiyaho, Angus Crichton is back. Satui Tupinu is in great form. Has scored three or four tries over the first two weeks. Isaac Liu, and of course on the bench, not only do you have Jerry Hargraves and Nat Butcher, you've now got the return of Victor Radley, who I think is just huge for this Roosters side. I think that the performances of, of the Roosters dropped last year when he left um, the side. What a credit to this Roosters team that they've got you know, someone with his premiership winning experience sitting there on the bench ready to go. I'm sure we'll see him work his way back into the starting squad over the next few weeks. Yeah, look, wouldn't surprise me. And obviously, you know, we know he plays a lot of lock and he's not the biggest the biggest lock by any means, but has the heart of a line and defence like it too. And I guess probably, you know, well, no, we, we know it's not surprising, Tom, but Lindsay Collins, obviously, we touched on him at the back end of last year, obviously made his origin debut for Queensland, richly deserved. And, you know, the way that he's been able to essentially come out of nowhere in many ways in terms of, you know, the focus has always been on the likes of Tedesco, Kiri, you know, Jared Warrior Hargraves was the mainstay of that starting front row for for years at the Roosters. Lindsay Collins has obviously now usurped him and, and is in that starting role. I mean, the way that he's been able to to play, and, you know, we saw it on the weekend with that lovely pass that he took off, took from, I think it was Joey Manu drifting into the middle and, yeah, Lindsay Collins just ran onto the ball like a like a steam train, obviously hit the gap. Maybe could have gone himself, but he passed back inside to Fletcher Baker, who scored on debut. And if you haven't seen it already, that was that was the Roosters try that I focused on in the uh, the weekly video wrap that I've started up this season, which is just basically analysing an individual try from the game from each game, I should say. And it's good to see that Collins certainly hasn't lost any of his step from from last year to this year, Tom? Yeah, certainly not. He's been outstanding so far for the Roosters. And the platform laid by their forwards has really enabled guys like Brett Morris and Luke Curie to get out on attack. We see James Tedesco leads the league in points. Brett Morris leads the league in tries. Uh, Luke Curie leads the league in line engagements. Brett Morris leads in line breaks. And uh, Brett Morris also takes the lead in uh, run metres across the first two weeks. So, you know, it's pretty tough to beat any side when they're racking up those sort of stats. I will say that the Roosters' right edge won't be coming up against uh, two-way Lewis and Luke Brooks this week. It'll be, um, hopefully, for South fans, a much uh, more sturdy defensive lineup on their left edge. But, you know, it's going to be a real challenge for them to, uh, you know, to 
I think the challenge for South, as we mentioned, would just be to get into that grind and really match the output of the Roosters forward pack because otherwise uh, guys like Latrell Mitchell and Cody Walker, who have been outstanding over the first few weeks, uh, they just won't be in the attacking positions to uh, score enough points to challenge the Roosters. Yeah, they've certainly got to be careful. And obviously, we know the history between the two sides, plenty of spice there. So we're going to have a very interesting clash to end the Friday night fixtures. And we move on to Saturday, Tom. I mean, Raiders and the Warriors. Like, this is For me, this is probably one of the two games this week that really could go either way, obviously. You know, the Raiders, they look good one minute, Tom, then they kind of slack off. And, you know, it's always been spoken about the Raiders of their consistency and can they – they've always been there or thereabouts when it comes to finals time, but then fall at the last hurdle, you know, that sort of thing. And they're up against the Warriors side who I guess they weren't – they weren't terrible against the Knights. Obviously, the Knights scored that last last gasp victory courtesy of, well, Heimel Hunt scored the try, but Bradman Best did all the work. We'll get to that shortly. So it was a last-minute loss for the Warriors, but they didn't look too bad. I mean, again, this is th- these are two sides, Tom, that I guess build their game around what they can do in the forwards. And I guess we're going to have a pretty good battle right up front. Josh Papali up against Adam Fanua Blake, who are easily two of the top five props in the game. So... Is this is this a case of I guess whichever team can get the forward get the forwards momentum wins it or or is there a bit more to it with the halves to get involved and and do something for their sides? Yeah, I think there's be a little bit more to this one, especially with the loss of Chanel Harris Tavita for the Warriors. Sean O'Sullivan comes in there this week and he's a good player in his own right, but I think that'll really interrupt their attacking flow, uh, especially down that right edge up against you know Jack White and George Williams who are one of the more experienced pairings going around in the league at the moment. Just on the Raiders, I was a little bit surprised to see uh, Sebastian Chris lose his spot for Jared Croker. Obviously, it was no surprise to see Croker come out, come back into that squad eventually. But I thought Chris was, um, yeah, I thought his form was outstanding over the first two weeks, and I thought he could have almost held his spot over Croker. You know, Jared Croker getting a little bit older obviously provides a little bit with the goal kicking, but you know, probably not as much of the power running game that Chris uh, demonstrated, especially last week against the Sharks. It'd be interesting to see how the Raiders bounce back from that performance. Obviously nearly went to golden point, uh, except for the Chad Townsend missed goal right at the end. I'm sure they'll be looking once more to, to really get on the front foot, as you mentioned. I think uh, uh, Ricky Stewart will be really weighing the challenge down to Josh Papali'i this week. I look at him in a very similar vein to a guy like Junior Paulo at the Eels, and I think that they've gone in slightly opposite directions to start the season. I think they're both arguably two of you know the top three or four front rowers in the league. But I think Papali's down to 49 minutes per game. Probably quite, doesn't Probably hasn't quite had the impact so far, you know, under 150 metres last week. And uh, whereas Junior Paulo, you know, he's, he's upped his game to 60 to 65 minutes, scored two tries over the first, you know, two weeks. And he's, he's really been outstanding and, you know, really in the running for a couple of those controversial Dally M points. So I think they'll be looking for Papali to really take up a little bit more of the onus, especially as the leader of the forward pack uh, moving forward. Yeah, they'll certainly need it, obviously. I think. Even though the Raiders won that game, they I mean, they didn't do themselves any favours when it came to their execution as well, Tom. Obviously, you know, we've spoken a lot about the Sharks and the fact that there probably won't be any Sean Johnson until, you know, you're round eight, round nine at the earliest, obviously. An Achilles injury needs to needs time to heal properly and I get, it's it's more indefinite as to when he'd come back. But you know, the Raiders they probably want to do a little bit more with their attack. I, I think Jack White and at least for me, Tom, probably hasn't been as effective. I mean, obviously you can only play what's in front of you as well and the conditions last week didn't help but when you look at how he played over the course of the the 2020 season and how he started this season probably hasn't been at his best. I think a lot of the runs that he's made, they've been whereas last year there would have been breaks this year they've been half breaks. Obviously you know, good players always have defences adapt to how they play but I guess the key for, for the Raiders and what Raiders fans will hope is that Jack Whiten can start converting those half breaks into actual chances because we know how effective he can be as he showed last year. Yeah, 100%. You know, as you mentioned, Dalian winning player last season and he hasn't quite had the, the desired output over the first few weeks. Only had nine runs last week for 75 metres. So, you know, I'm sure they'll be looking for him to take on the line a little bit more, uh, take a few more runs, especially through that middle portion of the game when, Defensive starts get a little bit tired. We know that's when he's so dangerous. And, you know, inside the 10 or 20-meter line, if, if Jack White's taking the uh, taking the line on with a little bit of footwork, we all know that 
uh, the Raiders will be well and truly in the hunt to score plenty of points. Yeah, the Raiders are a side that can score plenty of points when they need to, that's for sure. And look, just as that 3pm game is, you know, arguably a tough one to pick, 5.30 game on Saturday, Tom, the Broncos and the Bulldogs, obviously both sides are, are winless to start the year. It, <laughs> it's an interesting one. I mean, both of these sides, they have their moments, which you think that they look okay and maybe it's going to change. But then they've got those moments, Tom, where it just looks ugly. And, you know, obviously for the Broncos, that was the that second half against the Eels and in, in round one. Then obviously they probably couldn't execute properly last week against the Titans. Then I guess the Dogs are much of the same, despite I think Kyle Flanagan has certainly improved their structure. But it's going to take a lot more than, than one, I guess, key half to to change the Bulldogs' attacking structure and have them scoring points at will. Yeah, most certainly. I like the Broncos in this one. I think they showed enough in attack last week against the Titans that you know, they'll be able to overpower the Bulldogs. I just don't know if the Bulldogs have enough points in them to match the Brisbane. Obviously, we know we know where the Dogs will be targeting. They'll be running straight at Anthony Milford after the absolute annihilation of uh, that right-edge defence that uh, David Fafita put on last week. I was a little bit surprised to see Kevy Walters back Milford and Croft in to continue this week. I thought we might see Tom Tearton come in for Milford just after that defensive performance, but, but Kevy showed him uh, his support, and now it's really up to Anthony Milford to to repay the favour and you know uh, put in with a big defensive performance and set up a couple of tries as well down that right edge. To me, the Penguin Junior I thought was outstanding last week. He played about 52 minutes, and you know he was electric in the time he was on the field. But you know there's got to be more to this Brisbane attack than just throw it to TPJ and. You know, hope for the best. At times, it seemed like he was just getting thrown the ball with no support, and he was just being asked to run it through the middle. And you know, he's going to need more from guys like Tom Flegler, Pat Carrigan, John Aziada as well off the bench. So it'd be up to those guys to put in a good performance this week. Jordan Ricky was outstanding. I know we're going to talk about him later in terms of uh, his new contract, but I thought he was good in his, in his second game of the season. So I'm sure they'll be looking to go down that right edge to him a lot more uh, this week up against Avarillo and Flanagan there. And then at the Dogs. I think they'll be looking for a little bit more from their forward pack. Jack Hetherington played big minutes last week, got up around that 55-minute range, but really just didn't have the work ethic. You know, wasn't taking as many runs as he probably should have been. And then you look at his other starting forward partner, Ovahigdi Ogden, only played the 25 minutes. Like, what's going on there? You're starting forward. You need need them playing up up at least over that 40-minute mark. Um, or otherwise, there's going to be a lot of pressure on guys on the bench, like Dylan Napa and Joe Stimson, to come in and uh, fix things later in the game. But by that stage, it may already be too late. Yeah, probably a good look. I mean, I think the dogs are missing a guy like Luke Thompson. Obviously, he's suspended. I think he's even suspended next week because of the eye guards that he did at the back end of last year. And, you know, we know what he did for St. Helens. We've spoken about him plenty of times. I guess the hype has been there across the media about how good he is. And at the back end, he was certainly starting to show it. And, you know, they need a guy like that. And I guess Anthony Milford, Tom, the saving grace for him is that He's not coming up against a David Fafita type again. Obviously, Adam Elliott and Corey Ordella, solid back rowers in their own right, but certainly not the not the, the destructive forces of Yeah, certainly. But at the same time, Adam Elliott has been really strong and he'll be up against Milford this week on that left edge for the Bulldogs. And, you know, he had to try in the first week. He's going to be threatening with his power running game. So look for Avril and Flanagan to really try and find Elliott with that short ball and put a lot of pressure on Milford. But, you know, I'm sure that, uh, I'm sure that Brisbane will be up for it this week after, you know, the fogging they received last week from Dave Feeder. Yeah, they certainly need something to go their way, that's for sure. And should be an interesting game. Obviously, the team that wins it will no longer be winless, given both are pretty, you know, both are pretty much rooted to the bottom of the ladder. And I guess we move to the final game on Saturday, Tom. And, you know, two teams sort of, I guess, tracking in different directions, if that's the right thing to, to say. Obviously, the Eels in atrocious conditions on the Friday night, got the win against the Storm, and obviously an unexpected one, even even for a fan like myself. I mean, I, what I've been doing in our old tipping properly for, what, maybe eight to ten years, was, was the first game ever that I tipped against the Eels, only because it was the Storm, apart from that 14-0 win at Bankwest last year, which was obviously without their origin stars as well. You know, we just have not been able to beat the storm, rain, hail, shine, regardless of what venue we're playing at. Obviously, you know, that they've had had a number on us in the finals as well. And yeah, look, I mean, 
I think the way that the side was able to, you know, they would score, Melbourne would score again. And I guess typically, Tom, when Melbourne score, another try is almost always on its way after that. But the Eels' defence held pretty solid. I mean, I, I think that's probably some of the best goal line defence and probably defence in general I've seen from the side in a long time. Obviously, I guess both of the, the Storm's tries certainly weren't because of tremendously well-executed plays. Obviously, you know, the bit of a ricochet here and there, or I guess a, a lucky try, if that's the way to put it. But, you know, certainly as a fan, it's it's an effort that we've probably been crying out for a while. Obviously, we haven't been able to, I guess, really beat a top side as we've seen in the last couple of seasons. And hopefully this is the the momentum shift that the side needs to, to tell them that, hey, if you play like that, you can beat any side in this competition. Yeah, 100%. Some great individual performances there as well. Clint Gutson's line defence was outstanding. You saw him punch away one try there and, you know, make a couple of try-saving tackles as well. It really saved the match for the Eels in a number of stages. We saw what a, an absolute clinic the Storm put on the Rabbitohs in the first 20 minutes in round one. And for the Eels to be able to stop that uh, for basically the full 80 minutes last week was you know, great to see. Obviously, the star of the show was Mike Acevo. But something that's probably been lost in his two tries, and especially that spectacular take over George Jennings to win the match there, was his work ethic. You know, it's something you've been calling out for for a number of weeks. But Mike Acevo put up 18 runs last week for 175 metres, 58 metres on the kick return. Had a line break there and topped the match in run metres uh, for for the Eels. So I'm sure that was particularly pleasing for you. Oh, look, we, <laughs> we joke as Eels fans. He's still not... Still not running quite like we always compare him to, to how Brian Toto runs the ball off of Penrith. Just like every run is like his life depends on. And look, certainly the first two weeks have been a lot better than the way he ended the season. But we still want him to just just watch Brian Toto tape Steve. That's all you have to do, and and you'll get places. But no, it, it was good to see. Obviously, you know, 2019, pretty much after that Manly game where I don't know if he injured himself somehow with that Brad Parker tackle or what it was, but what just wasn't the same after that game and you know given how well he played in 2019 when he was when he won the Ken Irvine medal for the most tries scored in the season we all thought 2020 would be the same and didn't reach those heights but it's great to see that he started the season well obviously we hope it can continue because we know how devastating it can, it can be but probably what I get not, not really a surprise is the wrong word Tom but I think the forwards have been able to get their momentum through the middle and you know, that's obviously where the Eels win a lot of their battles because they've got quite a big and mobile forward pack, both starting and off the bench now. But I guess the missing factor was probably a running game from Reed Marnie. Obviously, in 2020, he didn't do much running. And I think I saw, I think I, I read a stat last year, he was averaging something like 26 metres a game, run metres that is. And this year already, he's up to 76 run metres a game or something. So that's, you know, 50. 50 metres extra for a hooker in their running game is absolutely tremendous. And I think what that's doing for the Eels' attack is because teams aren't sure if Amani is going to run the ball or not, it allows the likes of Paulo to basically, I guess, play as that, that, that first receiver that then just crashes over, as we've seen in consecutive weeks. Obviously, Marnie and Paulo have linked up, linked up for the two tries. And I think if Marnie can keep on doing that and obviously picking his moments as, as to when he should run the ball... It's just going to give the Eels, I guess, more options when it comes to the the attacking third side of things. Yeah, definitely. I guess it perpetuates a little bit of a cycle like we've seen from South with Damian Cook and even the Tigers last year with Harry Grant, where if there's that indecision in the defensive line, whether the hook is going to run or not, they might back off a little bit. Uh, that, away, that enables the force to really get on the front foot and create the space for the hooker to run more, which then creates that extra indecision and it, you know, gets uh, that cycle gets started and it really enables teams to get on a roll and just demonstrates the importance of the hooking position to a side. I think that on the opposite side of the field, the Sharks will be looking for a little bit more from Blake Braley. He's been pretty quiet over the first few weeks. I think that his combination with Matt Moylan and Chad Townsend will be really important uh, this week. Obviously, I think I'll be backing in the Eels to get the job done, but I think that, that the Sharks are that sort of team that, you know, when all chips are against the wall, they seem to come out fighting. And I think we saw it last year at Cogra. I can't remember if they quite got the win or not, but... You know, they've really put up a fight in some pretty um, soggy conditions uh, down there in that Strata Jubilee Stadium and um, really put up a fight to the Eels when they really weren't fancied to uh, score many points at all. Oh, look, the pressure is all on the Eels. I mean, you know, the Eels, 
are notorious for winning for sorry for losing games against sides that they probably should be winning against and you know the back end of 2020 was was indicative of that as well and I guess another talking point, Tom, while we're on you know, on the Eel Sharks game, we know Ryan Matterson is not playing, obviously, after that that incident in the Storm game. They saw Felice Kafusi suspended for two weeks at elbow to the face, which I guess from the Eels, Tom, it's it's you know due diligence. We know what Madison's his, uh, concussion history is like. Uh, I guess probably probably not as bad as Jake Friends, for example, in terms of the frequency, but. You certainly can't take any chances when it comes to to head knocks and concussions. When we have seen Madison miss considerable time across both of the sides he's played for in the past. Yes, yeah, certainly. And you know, you compare it to the debate we're having around Nathan Cleary and whether he'll play or not this week. It's good to see that he'll just take that cautious approach so early in the season when you know that Ryan Madison's going to be such an important piece of the puzzle come later in the year. Like you know, this rest he has now could be the difference between him sitting out one week in round 25 or missing the entire final series. Uh, based on the advice of independent urologists, which looks like the way that we'll be heading in terms of concussion management. Obviously, the decision is also made a lot easier by the fact that the Eels have a great replacement ready to go in Isaiah Papalui. He was terrific in the first two weeks and really stepped up and you know filled that bench role. And I have no doubt that you know he'll put in a great performance this week in the starting starting role. He might be even one for uh, the anytime try scoring market out there. He'll have plenty of opportunity on that edge. Yeah, he certainly will, and there's plenty to play for in that game. And Look, I guess on Sunday afternoon, Tom, as a, you know, first game up is the Tigers, or Knights and Tigers, I should say, it's up in Newcastle. It's probably not too much to really, I guess, say about the Knights in a way, Tom. Obviously, that was it, it was quite an even contest against the Warriors. Obviously, as as I mentioned earlier, it literally took you know a piece of brilliance by Bradman Best, and you know you watch the commentary and it, you know Steve Block, Steve Blocker Roach literally goes there said, oh. They probably need something from Bradman Best now, and there he was, obviously, you know, beats Padahiku, who rushes out, manages to keep keep the left arm up in the air, offloads to Hummel Hunt. That's with three to four minutes to go. The nice ice it. Obviously, we know how talented Bradman Best is. Coming up against the Tigers side, Tom, we, you know, you mentioned it before, Joey Lailua is obviously, as bad as it sounds, he's, I guess, rightfully dropped. I mean, his, his performance against the Roosters was... Not great at all. I think it ended up something with like eight missed tackles or whatever it is. And for a starting centre, that is not what you want to see at all. Oh, especially no. It's one of the more incredible stats out of the game that he, he had eight missed tackles out of 10 tackle attempts. Like, how on earth is a first grade centre coming out with a tackle efficiency of 20%? It's, <laughs> you know, it's it's insane. And, you know, it's, it's, I think Tigers fans are all glad. Uh, all glad to see Michael Maguire, you know, really put up his hand this week and say, okay, that's enough. You know, you need to take a week off, head back to reserve grade and fix things up because, you know, that was just atrocious what they put up in the, particularly in the second half on the weekend. Some of the defensive efforts, you know, were you know, subpar. And, you know, it was really disappointing for all the fans out there who, who trekked it out to Campbelltown to, to receive that effort, uh, especially after a pretty solid opening 30 minutes. And that's two weeks in a row now that the Tigers have really matched uh, much more fancied opposition through much of the first half, you know, it was only 12-6 with, you know, a couple of minutes to go there uh, against the Roosters in the first half, and, and it was 6 all at half time against the Raiders. So, you know, they've demonstrated that they've got what it takes to, to really match teams over the, you know, over a 30- or 40-minute stretch, but now it's time to demonstrate that they can do it over an 80-minute stretch. And, you know, I don't know that many people are expecting the Tigers to get the win here. I, I give them a chance because, you know, they, they will fix things, some things up defensively. They've got points in them. You know, we haven't seen it over the first two weeks, but, um, you know, they're up against a really solid uh, defensive outfit in the Roosters last week. They were missing Adam Dewey in the first week. So I don't think we've seen, the, we've, we've had a chance to see the Tigers at full flight yet. And I really like the addition of Tommy Talao into the centres. I thought he was strong. Obviously, Dane Laurie's been impressive over the first couple of weeks. Controversially nabbed to have one Dalian point there on the weekend from Sam Friday. And, you know, I think that, uh, you know, the Tigers have what it takes to really uh, match Newcastle. And, you know, it's just going to come down to those effort plays. For Knights fans, it's great to see Kurt Mann uh, make a pretty quick return after uh, that knee injury he suffered uh, in round one. So uh, I'm sure their attack will be a lot more fluent on that left edge. And I'm sure Mann will be looking to get Bradman Best involved again and really take it to that Tigers right side defence. Yeah, I mean, certainly, you know, we speak a lot about Bradman Best and what he can do. And I guess, I mean, I guess it's it's a no-brainer. Everyone can see what he's done and what he's done in the past as well. But 
I guess despite for the Tigers, Tom, despite what has been two poor second halves to start the year, I think regardless of that, you, you know, you, you look at the, the way that Dane Laurie and Jacob Little are playing, obviously. Little's got two tries in two games. Laurie, I think, finished with about two line breaks in that game against the Roosters. You've got to be pleased with, I guess, that at least not all hope is lost, that there are still some of the younger players, I guess, you know, wearing their heart on their sleeve, essentially, and, and I guess really just trying to create some opportunities for for the side to try and get some points on the board that they so desperately need. Yeah, 100%. You know, I think there's a, a lot of Tigers fans who are feeling pretty defeated after watching performance over the first two weeks, but I think, you know, we've got to remember who we're up against. We're up against the Raiders, who a lot of people are tipping to be there and thereabouts come uh, grand final weekend, and the Roosters, who have been, you know, arguably the powerhouse team in the competition over the last decade. The performance that were delivered weren't acceptable over the first two weeks. And in my opinion, before the season, I said that if the Tigers can win two of their first five games because of that tough opening draw, then I think they'll be there and thereabouts come September to really push for that bottom spot in the top eight up against sides like Newcastle and the Warriors. Yes, yeah, certainly no bigger tests. And they certainly need a win to start to, I guess, get their season back on track in many ways. And you know, we end things on on the Sunday night, Tom, with the Cowboys and the Titans. The Cowboys are another team, Tom, that something's got to give. I mean, their fans are certainly, you know, looking at this side. And I guess the big criticism has come from the decision, the, the, like, the consistent decision from Todd Payton to be playing Hamiso Tabuai Fido in the centres. And I mean, he's, I think the first two weeks have probably shown us it's not working. They've persisted with it again. I think Jake Clifford has been poor to start the season. Scott Drinkwater from fullback certainly looks the more lively. We know he can do in the halves as well. I mean, I think this is a Cowboys side, Tom, that they look a lot better when they've got Val Holmes at fullback, Drinkwater in the halves, and then play whoever they, whoever you want on the wing. But something's got to give because if they lose to this Titans outfit, and obviously we know what the Titans did, Look pretty good, particularly back into the first half and into the second against the Broncos. You know, they did well in the forwards. Corey Thompson is an absolute live wire when, you know, the, the little nugget of a guy just breaking tackles from big men with ease. But, yeah, the Cowboys, something's got to give here, Tom, because if they're not careful, they could be out of, out of, I guess, top eight contention very, very quickly. Oh, certainly, the only way that the Cowboys look like getting a win at the moment is if they come up against Manly. And that's you know, really saying something considering the performances of both sides over the first few weeks. And I'm 100% with you. I think that Valentine Holmes needs to be in that fullback position. Scott Drinkwater into the six, Michael Morgan into the seven, and move Tabuai Fido onto the edge there in the number five jersey. Um, when Kyle Felt comes back, he'd take up the other wing with Isan Masters in the centres and then a guy like Murray Tolangi uh, playing in that four jersey. I think they're moving in the right direction in the forwards. I thought that Ruben Cotter looked solid in the 13 jersey while Jason Tamalolo's out. Obviously, when Tamalolo comes back, that'll be a huge addition to the side. I really still don't think that it, I still don't think they need to persist with Jake Gramble off the bench. I don't think he's adding a lot in attack or defence to this side, and they'd be much better off adding a guy like Shane Wright or even uh, Ben Hampton onto the bench. You could bring in a, a little bit of a live wire, as we saw a number of times uh, last, throughout last season. And then across to the Titans, 100%. Corey Thompson was the man I wanted to highlight as well. You have a look at some of the uh, the run meter stats over the first few weeks. You know, you've got a couple of wingers up there like Brett Morris and Brian Toto. And you've got a couple of props, guys like James Fisher-Harris, David Clemmer, Adam Fenua Blake up there as well. And then you've got little Corey Thompson. It's been two outstanding performances from him so far. He hasn't let his size deter him from really helping his uh, side get out of their, their own end. He ran for 178 metres last week and top 200 the week before that. So, you know, Performances like that are really what enable guys like David Feeder and Tegno Fasu Malawi to, to get into good attacking positions where they can either take the line on or bring out the offload and uh, open up space for some of the other guys around them. I really like the Titans in this one. I think that they'll have too many points in them for the Cowboys, as we've seen over the first few weeks. And oh, no, I mean, definitely not. I mean, I think the Cowboys certainly have a long way to go, if, not only to, I guess, to compete, but to get a win. And, you know, we, we've said it before that this Titan side is a team on the rise. and it's hard to see the Cowboys, I guess, opening their account in 2021 this week to to kick things off for them. And, you know, I guess it's good. It's, it's, it's a matter of 
when and not if that these combinations change because certainly it's not working for them right now. Yeah, and especially when you consider that Kyle Phelps out this week and next week with that two-week suspension he got for the, the uh, spear tackle he put on Jack Bird. You know, that's one of their biggest attacking weapons gone. They've shown their tendency to, to kick higher to his wing over the first few weeks, and you know, that's something that, that we've seen successfully from them over the last few seasons. But you know, they're going to have to really get creative this week and find something new uh, if they want to get through this Titans defence. Yeah, they're certainly doing, I guess, as always, there's plenty of news in the rugby league circles, Tom. Probably the news that is, has everybody talking is after what seems like an eternity. We know that Bronson Cherry has had his his four-year ban confirmed. It was rumoured for, I guess, the last month or so. It's been confirmed. It's obviously, I guess, that's been backdated to the 25th of November 2019 when his initial drug test took place which means he can come back in 2023. So I guess he's probably lucky in a way, Tom, that it wasn't four years from now. Obviously, I guess that's what most of us were expecting. I guess how – do you think it will be difficult for a player like Cherry to, I guess, convince a side that he's ready to return, given that the NRL's anti-doping policy investigation found that he knowingly and intentionally took the testosterone drug despite all the rules that the NRL has got in place surrounding – the the non the non use of drugs. Look, I think that we'll see him come back, and I think that a number of NRL teams will be keen to to have him back as long as he's in the right shape. Come 2023, only 20 years old, still he's so young. So you know he'll, he'll only be 23 when he comes back into the league. And I think that yeah, he's just so. I think that we've seen we saw in the, in the short glimpse that we got of him that you know how how explosive he can be. He was being compared to a guy like Bradman Best, and you look at all the the conversations we're having this week around. Uh, best outstanding performance, a match-winning performance against the Warriors there. You know, uh, Bronson Sherry's just got that X factor that teams are looking for in the centres. He, you know, he's got the potential to really rival a guy like uh, James Roberts. You know, when we know what he's done over the course of his career for a number of different clubs. So, you know, fingers crossed for Bronson that he can come back. And um, I think, yeah, we will see a number of teams lining up for him uh, when he comes back into the league, as long as he's in the right headspace and the right physical space as well. Yeah, you'll certainly have to be. Otherwise, you'll find it difficult to come back in the game, given how much it has changed in in the couple of years that he's been out of it as well. And I guess, obviously, teams are always looking at ways to keep us, keep the nucleus of their sides together. Tom, have a few re-signings that have been announced this week. Mike Acevo at the Eels. We've got Jordan Ricky at the Broncos. And we've got the double signing out at Manly, Haumoli, Haumoli Olakawatu and Des Hasler staying on as coach. I, mean, I guess with the three sides, obviously, three very different players at different stages of their careers. For Sivo, I guess it's no surprise, obviously. We know what he did in 2019. Eels fans, including myself, want him to back that up in 2021 after a poor 2020. And they certainly seem to be, a, I guess, in a that premiership window that everybody talks about, Tom. And if they can manage to retain the majority of their stars, given that a lot of them are still relatively young in terms of rugby league and probably only just reaching their peak ages now. It, it, I guess it's a good thing for the Eels that they've been able to keep Mike Acevo around until 2023. Yeah, 100%. You look at the last couple of premiership winning sides in Melbourne and the uh, Roosters. You've got Suliasi Vunavalu and Josh Adokar at Melbourne and then Brett Morris and Daniel Tupo at the Roosters. They're probably arguably four of the, the best centres in the game at the time. And we see, as we mentioned, week in, week out with Mike Acevo, the importance of wingers and getting your sides in the attacking position, getting out of your own end, relieving pressure, and then also you know, coming up with some of those spectacular finishes that we've seen from him, like we saw on the weekend uh, to beat Melbourne. And I think Mike Sivo is a real a confidence player. He, we see him go on these streaks uh, time and time again, where you know you're in a five-game stretch, he'll score eight or ten tries, and then you know he'll go on a little bit of a drought. And I think that you know, the new deal will only, you know, will only strengthen his confidence moving forward. And I'm sure that he'll be looking to put some more great performances on the board for the Eels. Jordan Ricky, I thought he, as I mentioned earlier, I thought he was outstanding last week. I thought it was really coming of age game for him after we all sort of got a glimpse of what he could do in that All-Stars game. So I'm sure they'll be looking for more of the same this week, especially up against that Bulldogs edge. You know, he was dynamic with that footwork and really broke free. Came out of the game with one line break, 16 runs for 190 metres. So Kevin Walters can't complain with the effort that he was putting in there. And then finally, at Manly, it's great to see them lock up Hamoe Alkaatu, one of the rising stars of their forward pack. Yeah, he'll play a great role moving forward, I'm sure, in the latter stages of this year. He provides him with some great depth. And then the re-signing of Des Hazard, that's one of those classic early season signings when the team's under pressure just to you know, put some confidence in the coach and the system and say, we're going to back you in for the next two years. And 
you know, whatever it will be, will be. Yeah, certainly uh, <laughs> a lot to fix up at Manly, and obviously they think that Des is their guy. And I guess, Tom, we know that the Daly M's, obviously, we saw last year the end result was leaked before the, the program had finished, and everyone was like, how does that happen? This year we have a it's almost the other end of the spectrum in terms of Daly M controversy and you know probably everyone talks about the the Rouen Sims I guess saga where she admitted she hadn't watched the game had delegated points and everyone here is talking about you know that that Roosters Tigers game you know where's Brett Morris oh sorry Brett Morris got the points but you know where's where's Luke Keary when he had what four try assists two line breaks I think three line break assists and something like 120 odd meters and pretty much he was the orchestrator of that in, of that entire win and of course no disrespect to Dane Laurie who was good in his own right but it makes you wonder whether the the experts are watching the same games as a lot of the fans are yes yeah, certainly and I think the the one way to solve it I know Joel Keynes put it out on the get him on side podcast I'm really on board with his suggestion and that is that we have a panel of judges so we might have uh all the commentators from Fox Sports, all the commentators from Channel 9, whoever's doing the radio, whether it be Triple M, the ABC, our 2GB, we have all the commentators for the game. Perhaps referees get involved as well. They award their their 3-2-1. All the points get it up, added up for the match, and then a clear 3-2-1 is given out. Whether that includes the one point must be the top top performing player from the losing side, perhaps. But unfortunately, every judge has different standards. Every judge is looking for something else. Obviously, Sam Thayde being a fourth throughout his career, you'd think he's going to value performances of, of uh, some of the forwards a little bit more than perhaps, uh, you know, the halves and what, you know, someone like Andrew Johns might value. You know, everyone sees the game differently. And unfortunately, I think the, there's no choice after, you know, Luke Curry was robbed. There's no other way to put it of arguably three points. And that could be the difference come the end of the season. If he was to, you know, lose the Dalian by by two points or a point, you know, it'd be pretty sad to see. Yeah, certainly would be. I mean, I guess surprisingly in the Daly M2 time, I think when I was having a look at the ladder yesterday, when after on Monday they obviously put it all out. I think there's no there's no five eight or halfback in the top seven or eight players, which is not something you see very often. Yeah, definitely not. And even with a guy like Brett Morris getting the three points, he had a great game. But all of the tries he scored, as you mentioned, were orchestrated by guys like Tedesco and Kiri and you know. You look at that one where Luke Keary beats Luke Brooks down the right-hand side and gives the flick pass off to Brett Morris. You know, why is Brett Morris being rewarded for that? Yeah, all we have to do is catch the ball and dive over the line. You know, Luke Keary's come up with this outstanding break, beat Luke Brooks clean, and then thrown this audacious flick pass out the back at Campbelltown. Uh, it, it's it's startling to see, and uh, I have no doubt that change is on its way. And I think we will be looking forward to this judging model where there's a panel of judges and. You know, I, I, I'm personally I'm not one for the, the suggestion that we should go back to the old rugby league week system of rating every player and then averaging out the ratings or finding the best 10 or 12 ratings across the season. I think that that's perhaps rewarding the most consistent players rather than the best players, and you know that's what the award is: it's best and fairest. Yeah, well, I mean the rugby league week system already expecting the, the experts to pick three players, let alone having to give grades for 17 players. I mean, <laughs> it's, yeah, that's uh, it. It's just insane, obviously. It may have worked then, but not now. But, uh, Leah, look, as you said, something has to change with it. And obviously, you know, very quickly. Otherwise, we could see more instances like this. And that's just going to create even more drama and, and controversy in what on what is already, a, I guess, a farcical award in the eyes of many based on last year and incidents in the past. And I guess just moving on quickly, Tom, a surprise. We see uh, Nathan Peets has signed with newly promoted Super League side, the Lee Centurions. I mean, surely there would have been a few NRL sides that could have used Nathan Peets for the 2021 season? Yeah, you would have thought so. You look at a team like Manly, who are really running short of hooker depth there, and, and having to throw a guy like Rocky Croker in there in round one and force him to play the full 80 minutes, you'd, you'd think that they could definitely use a guy who's got a guy like Nathan Peets who's got plenty of experience, only 30 years old, obviously hasn't had his you know, best form over the last couple of years, but I can't see any reason why Nathan Peets wouldn't be able to get back to the form that saw him play State of Origin in 2017. So a uh, great addition for Lee, and I'm sure um, he'll be looking to to join a, a, what is now a growing crop of ex-NRL players who are really lighting it up over there in the Super League. 
Yeah, they certainly are. That's for sure. And look, I guess to end things on a on a positive note, which is not something we can do very often. Tom, obviously, the story came out this morning that on their way to training, Adam Fanua Blake and Ben Murdoch Masilla were in their car, and they noticed that there was an elderly lady who was broken down on the side of the road. They helped her replace, obviously, fix the tire, get her back on the get her back on the road. That was up in Tugger and Tugra, I should say. And look, I mean, I guess it's not often that we hear the good news stories, Tom. So it was a bit refreshing to. I guess he won, particularly given that all we all we tend all we seemingly see is is bad news about rugby league players. Yeah, you nailed it, and credit to Phil Gould for getting the story out there on social media. Obviously, it's been a tough week for a number of people in New South Wales with the the floods and the rain that's going around. So uh, great to see these guys uh, heading out there and and helping out in whatever way they could this morning. And and as you said, great to see the media getting around it as well. It's you know, about time that. We see a little bit more positive recognition of some of the work the players are doing in the community, and it's great to see footy, uh, great to see some Facebook pages out there like Footy Smiles, um, getting in and uh, getting a little bit of coverage there as well. You know, there's there's plenty of great work that uh, a number of the players are doing that counteracts uh, all the negative headlines that tend to make the front pages of all the papers. Yeah, it certainly does. That's for sure, and may the good news stories continue. A hundred percent. I guess, I guess, finally, the obviously there was the news earlier in. I guess earlier in the week that uh, Fred Jones, who was the first premiership winning captain at the Manly Sea Eagles, obviously passed away. So I guess just on behalf of the podcast, you know, send out, well, um, you know, I want to send out thoughts and well wishes to, I guess, the Manly Football Club, his friends, his family, the fans as well that were able to, to watch him play. Obviously, it's no easy feat to win a premiership. And uh, yeah, obviously, sad to hear the Fred Jones probably one of Manly's best best players of that era has passed away. Oh, 100%. Captain of the club to their first premiership, 241 games for the club. That's pretty impressive in an era when, you know, a lot of players didn't quite get up to that, you know, that 300 mark that we see today. Obviously, less games and sports science back then. What that certainly wasn't what it is now. And playing uh, 25 tries at hooker, one field goal, 77 points, uh, represented City, New South Wales and Australia on a number of occasions. And, um, yeah, big loss for the game for sure. Yeah, certainly as well. That wraps it up for another week of the Take the Two podcast. Certainly very exciting week of fixtures to look forward to. And you can bet that we'll be back here next week to dissect all of the action and all in any news that emerges during the week.